Hello and welcome to the History of Vikings. Before we get into today's episode, I would just like to encourage everyone listening to consider supporting the podcast by visiting our sponsor, VKNG. VKNG provides handcrafted Nordic jewelry inspired by the myths, culture, and traditions of the Viking Age. VKNG is a company that I've been familiar with before I started this podcast, as it was recommended to me by one of my personal friends from Norway. All of their jewelry, designed for both men and women, is crafted with only the highest quality materials. VKNG crafts every piece of jewelry by hand and is a great way to symbolize your passion for one of Europe's most distinguished cultures. If you would like to support the history of Vikings, head over to vkngjewelry.com and save 20% off your entire order for the next 15 days by using the promo code NOAH20 or simply follow the link in the description of this episode. Today, I'm joined by a returning guest here on the podcast, and that is Professor John Carl Helgeson, a professor of Icelandic and Comparative Cultural Studies at the University of Iceland. Professor Helgeson is the author of two particular books with relation to the Viking Age, one titled Echoes of Valhalla, The Afterlife of the Eddas and Sagas, which we've discussed here on the podcast in a previous episode and a book pertaining to our discussion today, The Rewriting of Njalsaga, Translation, Ideology, and Icelandic Sagas. Professor Helgeson, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be on the podcast again. Well, it's a pleasure to have you back, and I'm really excited to delve into our topic of discussion today. Well, the first question I'll ask you is, for those who are listening and are not familiar with the piece of Old Norse literature known as Njalsaga. Could you sort of give us a brief intro into Njalsaga as an Icelandic saga and sort of what it means as a piece of Old Norse literature? Well, uh, Njalsaga is, uh, I think, the longest of of what we used to call the Icelandic family sagas. Uh, Now, uh, the term saga of sagas of Iceland is, is, is usually more commonly used, but uh, all of these sagas, they take place in, in Iceland uh, and, and primarily describe uh, the life in Iceland in the 9th uh, and the 10th century. Uh, they were written in the 13th century, and uh, some of them, including Njalsaga, uh, deal with uh, the episode of, of Iceland becoming uh, a Christian nation. And, and uh, there's a chapter in the middle of Njalsaga where, where Christianity is taking place in, in, in Iceland. So the first half is, is describing what you might call a heathen society. And, and the second half is, is describing uh, events uh, taking place after Iceland is, uh, is accepting Christianity, but still uh, heathen ideas and uh, ideas about revenge, they are still very much uh, present. Uh, and uh, it's also the most popular of, of the Icelandic family sagas. Uh, I think we have about 60 manuscripts uh, preserved, which is a very high number for the Icelandic sagas. And it, it's also the saga that, that probably has been, uh, well, not only best appreciated, but, but really the saga that uh, Iceland is at least uh, 
have uh, had very different opinions about for, for centuries. Uh, there are many interesting characters in the saga and, uh, and people have uh, mixed opinions, you know, uh, who is the good guy, who's the bad guy, things of that sort. So, so it, it's really uh, one of the few really classical Icelandic family sagas. Certainly, certainly. Now, could you tell us a little bit about the main character of Njal's saga, perhaps Bert Njal, and sort of what he means in this piece of Old Norse literature, and um, really how his, how the different events and really his interactions with other characters within the story contributes to Old Norse literature? Well, uh I think we, I mean, I guess the usual uh, view is is that in, in the first part of the saga, the main character is, is Gunnar, who's a classical saga hero, also a tragic one. He dies uh, at the end of the first part. Uh, his uh, closest friend and uh, a counselor is, is Njál, uh, who is uh, a father of a few sons, and, uh, and, uh, and all of them are also. Uh, what what you might call classical saga heroes, but Njáll himself, he's he's not uh, he's not a man of uh, of great physical abilities, but he's usually regarded to be a wise man. Uh, so this is the classical view, but uh, another way of seeing these two characters is actually looking at their wives and, and see them more as as uh, fundamental characters. Uh, uh, they, they they are both married to strong-willed women. Uh, the wife of of Gunnar Hallgerd is uh, well. She's usually been regarded uh, as a as a negative character, at least by by uh, uh, by scholars and poets, uh, male uh, scholars and poets. Uh, uh, Njál's wife, Bergthor, is, is also very strong-willed, and, and I think there's not such a big difference between these two women, as, as many people have have uh, often thought. Uh, and uh, so, so these four characters are really uh, fundamental for the plot of the saga, but, but uh, once Gunnar dies in the middle of the, the saga, uh, the, the, uh, the focus is... is Really placed on on Mjall's, uh, uh family, and uh, and Hatgerder she she kind of disappears uh, close close to the middle of the saga, and and so in the in the second part uh, Mjall uh, he uh, accepts Christianity, and uh, and uh, he is killed with his family. Uh, they are there. Their farm of of Berthosquadl is, is burned down in, in in the second half, uh, and uh, actually his son-in-law is is uh, also another classical saga hero. Kauri is his name, and and so the, the last part of the saga is is describing his revenge. So he's revenging for the death of of this very uh, Christian uh, character of, of Njáll. So. Uh, but but the saga ends with with actually uh, kind of a moment of of, of uh, reconciliation, not not very believable one, but uh, but uh, I I think uh, uh, 
in in uh, well let, let's say in, in in the past few decades uh Njall has been uh, viewed uh, more critically be, be, than before that even if he he claims to be a peaceful man he he uh is actually not uh, necessarily opposing when his sons want to take revenge on, on other people so and I, and this is really the key to to the interest people have in the saga that that uh, you can make quite conflicting arguments about what the Sai is really saying, what uh, different characters really, really stand for. Certainly. Well, I'm curious. You mentioned that Nial Saga was uh, written during the 13th century, yet describes events occurring in Iceland around the 900s AD. When the saga was composed during the 13th century, was it sort of a retelling of historical events, or was it more of a perhaps an oral story that was passed down and finally written down in the 13th century? Well, this is a, another matter of debate. Uh, certain uh, scholars, they believe that uh, the sagas, including Njalsa, are historically truthful, at least to a degree. Uh, other other scholars they they see uh, the sagas including Njalsaga more as uh, fictional works, and uh, and there is an argument suggesting in fact that uh, just the whole atmosphere of Njalsaga is is resembling uh, the civil war that was taking place in Iceland during the 13th century. So even if it's a what we might call a, a historical novel, it, it's actually commenting on on. Uh, Life in Iceland in the 13th century, and and this is a, another reason that uh, we have a, a lively debate uh, surrounding uh, the sagas and, and including Njalsa, that that you have completely conflicting views about uh, what kind of text it is. It, is it history or is it fiction? And and, and this has been uh, reflected in the reception of the saga in in, in many different ways. Now. Talking about your book, uh, which I understand was written quite some time ago, but uh, no doubt its information still holds up to modern times, um, the rewriting of Nial Saga. Uh, when you first became acquainted with Nial Saga as a piece of Old Norse literature, and then you know eventually wrote a book about it, what did you seek to do in your book, the rewriting of Nial Saga? And what would you bear in mind to all of us who might pick up a copy of it as we read it. Well, uh, I, I came to the study of, of uh, medieval Icelandic literature through uh, through my interest in, in translation studies. Uh, I, I'm not a medievalist, and uh, I, my, my study was in the field of comparative literature. So uh, this book uh, grew out of my, my dissertation that I, I was writing in the 1990s. And uh, I, I was just interested uh, in the different ways that this medieval text had been presented in different cultures at different times. So uh, basically, this is a this is a what you might call a series of case studies. I'm, I'm looking at the first English translation of Njalsa that was published in 1861. I'm looking at an American bridged version of this first English translation that was published in, in uh, Boston in, in 1905. 
Uh, I'm also looking at the Danish publication of Njalsaga that was published uh, during the Second World War and, uh, and a Norwegian translation that was published in the late 19th century. Uh, and I'm, I'm not uh, particularly interested in, in the ways in which uh, individual words or individual sentences are, are translated but more in, in the general context that uh, the translators, people who are writing introduction and reviews, are placing the saga into. So, uh, uh, for instance, in, in uh, the Victorian period in Britain, Njalsa is presented as a, as a historical document. And uh, when you look at uh, the introduction, footnotes, uh, appendices, etc., uh, Njalsa is actually used as a, as a as a text that, that opens up this historical period of of, uh, uh, of Iceland and more generally uh, uh, nations in Scandinavia, and, and I, mean, I mean it's almost presented as a part of British history. Uh, when we look at the American abridged version, uh, on the other hand, the uh, Alsace is be, being presented as a heroic epic, and. Uh, and uh, the text is abridged with that in mind. So you might say a part of the historical uh, uh, luggage that uh, you find in the first English translation, that's just thrown away in, in, uh, in Boston in 1905, and it's being presented as a, as a story about, about heroes that can be compared to you know, Greek, Greek heroic epics, etc., so I, I was trying to to find out in, in in each of these cases, you know, what what is the meaning that the contemporary people give to this medieval text. Uh, at the end of my book, I, I also addressed two Icelandic editions. Uh, they are both published during the Second World War, but uh, in one of these two editions, uh, the saga is really presented as a as a piece of history. Uh, but in the other edition, it, it's it's being presented as a almost as a as a modern novel, as a fictional work. And uh, the reason I, I wanted to include these in in uh, in a study that that's focusing on translation is that uh, the text in in both of these instances is not the same text that you find in the medieval manuscript. Uh, the spelling is is uh, is different. And uh, one of the one of the huge differences between these two Icelandic versions is that uh, in, in one case uh, the editors are trying to imitate something they call ancient confirmed spelling, and these are the editors saying that Njalsa is a historical work. In, in the other case, uh, uh, we have Njalsa in, in contemporary Icelandic spelling of the 20th century. And and uh, the whole emphasis is is just uh, trying to convince the reader that that Njalsa uh, is one of the great novels of uh, of Icelandic literature or even even world literature. So so uh, that was my approach in in general, and, and I, I guess one of my my conclusions is that every generation, every culture uh, will uh, will. Uh, read its own Njal saga. And uh, so, so I, I, I 
in a way, I, I don't think Nialsa is is one single work. It, it's it's uh, uh, it's uh, a collection of very different works, depending on on uh, on the different edition and, and translations. And that's something that ties into your book Echoes of Valhalla, which we've discussed on the podcast before too. And perhaps this next question is one that pertains to medieval Icelandic literature broadly. But uh, I was just going to ask, how has Njál saga been interpreted by Scandinavians and Icelanders throughout history? Are there any notable ways in which this text meant something to the people of those native regions that the, the saga comes from? Well, uh, I, I think in, in simplified terms, we can say that that uh, earlier generations uh, were, were in, in Iceland, at least, were reading Elsa as, as a historical text. And it meant that for them, uh, really, the heroes of, of Njál saga or, or any other saga were, were, were these classical heroes, uh, men who, who uh, knew how to, to fight or, or uh, had this sense that, that, that uh, in order to keep up the reputation, they, they needed to revenge if, if somebody in their family was killed. Uh, but uh, but uh, in the late 19th century, and, uh, and really what became the most important issue in the 20th century, uh, was uh, who, who wrote Njál saga? Who was the author of, of, of that saga or any other saga? So in a way... Uh, uh, the main character of uh, Njál saga became this unknown author. And, uh, and uh, th- there was a huge debate in Iceland uh, uh, surrounding that question, uh, different uh, ideas. Uh, and uh, so, so, so that's, uh, th- that's the simplified version. And, uh, and, and you can uh, see, see that uh, shift in interest uh, in uh, from 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 various perspectives, uh, I, I think it has something to do with the fact that uh, generally in, in 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 the Western world, uh, history writing was was considered to be uh, well, histories were were a part of canonized literature uh, into well into the nineteenth century, even into the twentieth century, and it's it's only uh, around the middle of the nineteenth century that. That fiction writing is something that people start to to value uh, and, and think highly of, and so it's interesting to see this this shift of focus actually following a very general trend uh, in, in terms of studying literature, writing about literature, handing out the Nobel Prize in literature. So, uh, but I, I think it also had uh, political implications and. and uh, and this is a point that, that some scholars have really put a lot of emphasis on, that if, uh, if Njál saga is a, is a historical work, a part of an oral tradition, uh, all of the nations in, in Scandinavia, even all the Germanic nation, uh, including Britain, uh, could claim, well, it's a part of our cultural heritage. Uh, with Icelandic scholars in, in the first part of the 20th century saying, well, uh, these are, are fictional works written by 13th-century Icelanders, and they made them up. It was also a way of saying, well, 
these works are, are particularly Icelandic. So people in Norway or Denmark cannot really say it's a part of our uh, cultural tradition. And, and, and this shift uh, was, uh, was uh, also, uh, I, I guess, just a part of the political development in Iceland. Iceland was fighting for its own independence, uh, and it became independent in 1944. It had been a part of Denmark. So these political aspects of, of, of this uh, reception is, is, is very interesting if, if you place it in, in the, the historical context of, of Iceland and Scandinavia in the 19th and, uh, and the 20th century. Well, other than the fact that you know, it is quite large, are there any really exceptionalities of Njal saga when compared to all of the other Icelandic sagas? Are there any things that really makes this saga stand apart from the rest? Uh, this is a, this is a tricky question. Uh, uh, almost almost all of the sagas have their own uh, characteristics, uh, uh, and uh, but then at the same time they're really a part of a, of a literary tradition that uh, uh, obviously is it, very influential and strong. But but I, I think uh, one of the things that that makes Yalsa particularly interesting is uh, to what degree the author or, or the oral tradition is, is producing uh, a very colorful uh, group of, of different characters and, and somehow the very often humorous and, and distinct characterizations that, that you find in Yelsa is, is really the key to its, its popularity. And, and, and even the minor characters that are maybe mentioned just occasionally Throughout the saga, they you see them develop. So, so that's uh, I think one of the one of the strong characteristics of, of Njal's saga that you have many characters and and all of them somehow are well formed and uh, and uh, in many many cases characters you can identify with, but then at the same time characters that uh, are are, are uh, well, complex. It's it's. Uh, and, and the Atlas is one example of that. I mean, he, he's not uh, a simple character. And, and some people see him as a, like a wise, wise man, a counselor, somebody who sees into the future. But then at the same time, uh, maybe he, he's really responsible for the, for the tragic destination of his whole family. So, so that, I think, is, is uh, one of the keys to, to its popularity. and, and uh, and appeal. Well, as an academic, do you still work with Nial Saga to this day? And is there anything, if so, that you're doing that relates to Nial Saga and sort of how you continue to study it and analyze it as a scholar? Well, uh, during the past uh, two years or so, I, I've been working with uh, uh, two mathematicians, and, and now during the past uh, Months with with uh, a real medieval scholar, which I'm not uh, looking at the uh, stylistic uh, uh, qualities of uh, the whole corpus of the sagas, and uh, we are using a digital uh, database with uh, text of, of of many sagas, and and using uh, formulas, uh, mathematic formulas. To uh, to see if if uh, if uh, 
the style, the writing style of one saga is similar to the writing style of another saga. And this was partially inspired by by some uh, contemporary Icelanders who, who really believe that Sturla Thordarsson uh, was the author of Njáls saga. And uh, the, the, there are a few texts that, that people uh, more or less know that Sturla wrote, in particular uh, one saga in, in the Sturlunga saga collection. And uh, what we did was to compare that saga to Njáls saga to see if, if there were any similarities in style. And uh, the methods we are using uh, are, are methods that were developed uh, uh, around uh, the turn of the century. Uh, we, we are using method that uh, uh, was originally suggested by, by an Australian scholar by the name of John Burroughs. And our, our finding was, was not very encouraging for the people that uh, think uh, Sturla Thordarsson wrote Njálsaga. So uh, what Sturla supposedly wrote, and this is a part of Sturlunga saga, is stylistically very different from Njálsaga. Uh, on the other hand, our, our research has suggested that uh, parts of Heimskringla definitely have uh, some of the same stylistic uh, qualities that, that Eilsaga has. So, uh, so uh, these uh, methods are, are very interesting to use when we are working with the sagas because uh, I, I think uh, each saga probably has a very complex uh, history. The way in which different sagas came into being is, is probably very different from one saga to the other. And, and this is a research we uh, are, are still uh, developing, but uh, but so far uh, we we are not close to any suggestion who as to who, who wrote Njálsaga. But uh, presently we we are more looking at uh, at uh, the relationship between Heimskringla and and some other sagas. But but this. Uh, this uh, research has, has been uh, partially focusing on Yeltsa and, and uh, it, it might continue to do so. Fascinating. Well, Professor Helgeson, it's been such a pleasure having you back on the podcast today, and I'll certainly uh, provide links in the description of the episode to Echoes of Valhalla, your book that we discussed last time on the show, and the rewriting of Niall Saga. Well, thank you so much again for joining me today. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you all so much for listening today to the History of Vikings. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to consider supporting the show, visit today's sponsor, VKNG. VKNG handcrafts Norse jewelry inspired by the mythology and culture of the Viking Age. All of their products are made with the highest quality materials and are designed for both men and women. If you're like me and have a deep passion for Nordic history and would like to demonstrate that passion, head over to vkngjewelry.com and save 20% off your entire order for the next 15 days by using the promo code NOAA20 or simply follow the link in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening today to the History of Vikings. Be sure to join us right here again next week. <laughs>